Hi, everyone. This is Sam Oser, your unconventional journalist, reporting on the movements that fight back Saturdays on All Rule Radio at 1.30 Central. So today's going to be a short one, um, and we're going to be focusing on some national news. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the railroad <laughs> debacle that's been going on this week between labor and the government, but we are going to cover that. And then at the end of it, we're going to talk about things that you can do tangibly um, to support their movement and to also uh, get ready for if they strike. Um, so the very first thing that we're going to talk about is um, why is Congress getting involved with labor union versus um, the the companies, right? So the, the railroad labor unions have been in negotiations with railroad companies for about like the last three years. Um, recently, you know, this is going on forever into time. They're always doing something. Um, but recently, it's been the last three years of negotiation. Um, and within the last year, the railroad union has threatened to strike because they aren't reaching negotiations. Uh, a strike um, would cost the economy about $2 billion a day because railroads haul about 40% of the nation's freight. Um, the rail would stop taking shipments of hazardous material and perishable goods for up to a week before the Friday strike deadline. Um, that's why business groups in particular were urging Biden and Congress to act this week. Um, and they can do this legally. Congress can step in to resolve disputes between labor unions and railroads under the 1926 Railway Labor Act as part of its power under the Constitution to regulate commerce. That law was written to prevent disruptions in interstate commerce. Uh, Congress has previously intervened 18 times in such disputes after the process had proceeded without success to a presidential emergency board which issues recommendations that the parties may choose to reject. So I'm reading this from uh, PBS, and uh, PBS is saying um, the last time Congress ended a rail strike was in 1992, sending the case to arbitration. Biden, at the time, was one of only six senators to vote against that legislation, citing unfavorable terms for workers. President George H.W. Uh, Bush signed the legislation into law to end a two-day strike that had begun, forcing layoffs at coal mines and auto assembly plants and threatened a broader stoppage of Amtrak passenger service. So since 1992, we haven't had a strike. Also crazy to think that 1992 was like 30 years ago. That's weird. Um, anyway, so Biden at the time voted against legislation, and now here he is calling himself a pro-labor president, but then shoehorning uh, this this legislation in. And what real what what's what's really at the forefront of all, all of it right now is the fact that railroad workers want paid sick time off, and they only want seven days. See, that is like basic fucking minimum. It really is, guys. Seven days paid sick leave. I know a lot of people in the service industry don't even have that. And we need to be fighting for that as well because it is bare minimum. But everyone deserves a life after work. 
and everyone deserves paid sick time. The fact that the railroad workers could cost the economy $2 billion a day if they go on strike means they wield a lot of power, and that's why the ruling class is, frankly, you know, terrified of them. So I have a press release for you guys from the Railroad, Railroad Workers United. Um, we're going to read through that just, just real quick. I'm going to tell you what they're saying. So their headline is Democrats, then Republicans smite labor. This is dated December 2nd. While the Railroad Workers United find despicable, but not surprising, that both political parties opted to side with big business over working people and vote against the interest of, of railroad workers, not once, but twice within hours, we suffered a one-two punch at the hands of first the Democratic Party and second served up by the Republicans. First, responding to the wishes of President Biden and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the House voted to legislate a contract that the majority of U.S. freight workers had previously voted to reject. The Senate would quickly follow suit. In effect, their actions simply overrode our voices and desires. Rail workers, like all workers, should have the right to bargain collectively and to freely engage in strike activity if and when members see fit and when they democratically elect to do so. So translating in case, so, you know, they're trying to strike and Congress using that railroad act that we just talked about are leveraging their power to be like, no, you can't strike. <laughs> You're going to cost the economy $2 billion a day. And big business is breathing down our necks, our uh, people that line our pockets and essentially run our government. So we don't want you to strike. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, Rail Workers Union General Secretary Jason During said, this one-two punch from the two political parties is despicable. Politicians are happy to voice platitudes and heap praise upon us for our heroism throughout the pandemic. The essential nature of our work, the difficult and dangerous and demanding conditions of our job. Yet when the steel hits the rail, they back the powerful and wealthy class one rail carriers every time. Railroad, rail, if I could say that word, word, Railroad Workers United understands that this fight for justice will continue in the coming months and years. The rail carriers are too powerful and are scourged to the national economy. They need to be taken into public ownership and run in the interest of workers, shippers, passengers, and the nation, not a handful of wealthy stockholders. That comes from the steering committee member, Paul Lindsay. Um, so the union believes that railroad workers need to explore other options, uh, than the two existing political parties because neither seem to have our backs. The union also believes that railroad workers need to consider doing away with archaic and divided craft union system that hampers our unity and solidarity and initiate the process of building a single and powerful railroad workers union that can win future rounds of contract bargaining. So that's um, from them, and it's it's a uh, it's insane, right? Um, on Monday, the White House announced its intention to impose the tentative agreement brokered in September by Labor Secretary Marty Walsh on the workers. So um, the uh, Labor uh, Committee, 
department for the U.S. government got has been involved in these negotiations. Um, so Labor Secretary Marty Walsh um, is trying to mediate between the unions and the big business. But of course, as we know, our government is owned and operated by corporations. So, so they are imposing the tentative agreement brokered by, <laughs> by that. Through public pressure and legislative maneuvering, progressives forced a vote on paid sick days in the House where it passed only for the demand to lose in the Senate with the 52 to 43 vote in favor failing to clear the 60 vote threshold. Um, so Labor Notes, one of my favorite, favorite news organizations to get labor movement news from. Um, if you do not follow Labor Notes um, and also More Perfect Union, um, I, I highly encourage you to follow Labor Notes and More Perfect Union. Um, these are my favorite places to get news on the working movement in the U.S. Um, so if you can, you should definitely follow them because it is they, they are wonderful. Anyway, so what I'm about to tell you is from Labor Notes. Um, John, Jonah Furman, who is a journalist from Labor Notes, spoke with an Iowa locomotive engineer, uh, Ross Gruders, uh, Ross Gruders is also the co-chair of the Railroad Workers United about the contract fight. Um, I also encourage you to follow Jonah Furman. I fangirl his work. Um, some journalists, you know, journalists aren't always awful, right? <laughs> um, but I think it's finding uh, the right publications um, to follow. So anyway, Jonah Furman, go for it. Please follow them. So... Um, I was reading through the this interview with Ross Gruders, which I will be linking in um, the summary section of my replay. So if you if you look up unconventional journalist wherever you get your podcasts, I link everything I talk about. Um, so that way you can revisit it and read it yourself if you'd like. Um, so so Ross Gruders, he's saying that. He's he would argue what Congress is doing is an unfair labor practice. Why would the carriers negotiate if Congress is imposing a deal? Congress has acted very, very prematurely here. The tentative agreement came out of the Biden admin presidential emergency board that issued its recommendations back in August. Out of that, to avert a rail strike in September, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh and others acted as intermediaries to bring railroads and the rail unions together to broker some additions to that PEB package to try to get little frill around the edges. I wouldn't even call it a bow on the package. It fell short of where, where workers' needs are with what we're going through. So that tentative agreement was put out to membership. Eight unions approved it, approved it and four Four unions who represent over 55% of rail labor rejected it. And those votes were occurring in a situation where a lot of people were resigned to the tentative agreement because Congress can do exactly what they're doing now. A lot of people felt strong-armed by the process, by pundits and politicians, and felt there wasn't a chance to do better. Um, da 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 so one of the questions that John Furman asked uh, Gruder is, what do railroad workers think of the decision of progressives in Congress to vote to impose the tentative agreement as part of the deal to get a vote on the paid sick days? 
Gruder says, your average railroad worker is not paying for paying attention to that. Your average worker knew that this was probably going to be imposed by Congress. For them, I think there are arguments about whether it's enough, but the seven paid sick days is probably what's being paid attention to the most. That's a win. That took a lot of work from the same progressives who are coming under fire, people like Jamal Bowman, who really stood up and were advocates for including the paid sick time. I think they need to be commended for that action. That was not easy to do, especially in the face of your president, your party leader, essentially saying, nah, <laughs> railroad workers don't deserve anything more. They've stuck their neck outs for railroad workers, and I think they deserve the praise for that. Gruder goes on to say, I understand the frustration, but my frustration is not with politicians who voted to implement this thing. It's the process itself. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for instance, voted yes for the implementation for the agreement in order to get the vote on the paid sick days. I understand the strong feelings about it, but I don't disagree. It is strike-breaking and it is unfair labor practice, but that is the process. We sort of knew that going in. So, um, like, the railroad workers knew that whatever they ended up doing, our quote-unquote democracy, was going to strike break and get them to impose and be like, here's your agreement, take it and leave. They knew this because that's what happened in 1992 when they did that two-day strike and Congress was like, here's your agreement, now go away. Um, this is an ongoing history, right? Um, and I mean, it makes sense, right? In 1924, when they made this Railroad Labor Act to make it where Congress could regulate commerce, <laughs> it was essentially an act to be like, hey, if the workers get out of hand, we can use this act to say we're going to impose agreements on you so we can maintain the system. It's not democratic and it hasn't been for for a really long time. <laughs> uh, okay. So there are things that you can do, right? So we've covered, uh, it's been a very small amount of time and we covered a lot. Um, I will be including a timeline uh, article the timeline article goes through the timeline of the negotiations. Again, you can find that at Unconventional Journalist, wherever you get your podcasts. And everything that I'm covering is in the summary for you to revisit, um, including this timeline of negotiations. And the railroad union is launching a major fundraising campaign. So this is one way that you can help them if you so want to. Um, the part, it's not just like paid sick days that they're advocating for, right? It's, it's violations of worker safety. The safety conditions of railroad workers is abysmal. Um, like there, there's, there's a lot of safety issues and if it wasn't for the unions, it would be even worse. But there is a, a fundraising campaign that the Railroad Workers United is doing. Um, despite actions by Congress and the Biden admin, we intend to continue to organize for our dignity and job quality and fight exploitation by class one rail carrier billionaires. We are a group of fighting railroaders and we fight 
for all workers. Amid the season of giving, the union humbly asks you to help propel our campaigns and capacity to build forward. So your donation would support expanding their campaign for public ownership of the railroads, fighting to consolidate the railroad craft unions to achieve one strong and unified voice at the next round of bargaining, funding research, development, and labor education, building union staff and administrative capacity to meet the needs of growing membership and to support member organizing. So I will be including that link in the uh, podcast summary. Again, you can access that at Unconventional Journalist wherever you get your podcasts. Um, So other things that you can do, this is going to sound like it's not going to be useful, but I promise it is, is to talk about it. Talk about like the reason they're not striking is because Congress back in the 1920s put in a law that allowed them (laughs) to break strikes. Like the government was like, the labor has too much power. We're going to create a law that allows us to break strikes. (laughs) And they've been using that law ever since. Um, 1992 was the last time that railroad workers striked. It was for two days. If they striked right now, it would cost the economy $2 billion a day. That is quite, quite <laughs> the uh, snub in the billionaire's pockets. The thing getting the most attention for this movement is the seven paid sick days. That would only cost uh, the companies like 1.7% of their profits, which you know, is not a lot. And they deserve more sick days. (laughs) They deserve more sick days. So, you know, talk about that, right? Um, But also be aware, if they do strike, uh, on the flip side, if they do strike, that is $2 a day that it would be affecting the economy. That means um, the supply chain issues that we are already having those supply chain issues would get worse. Um, That includes food, right? That includes gas. So on one hand, while it would affect the pockets of the billionaires and it would leverage worker solidarity to create better conditions for workers, we have to be aware that it will also hurt us on like in it, in our neighborhoods, right? Um, access to food, supply chain stuff. Um, so it's it's important to talk about that, not to get scared, but to understand that we are trying to create better working conditions, um, and that we also need to be building community networks. The government's not going to have our backs. They are going to continue to to gaslight (laughs) railroad workers into overworking and in in unsafe conditions. Um, And they're doing it to all workers across all lines of business, right? We're already seeing that here within ourselves, within our lines of work. So, 
even if they do go on strike, it's just important to be prepared with your community networks. Um, if you can, go ahead and stock up on some dry goods um, and be in community with people if they do decide to wildcat strike. Um, wildcat strike means basically an, an illegal strike because Congress said, hey, uh, we've imposed this deal on you. This is what you're going to accept. And now you have to legally go away because we said so. And a wildcat strike means workers being like, um, no, thank you. <laughs> and then striking anyway. Um, it's important to talk about this, right? Because there are two sides of the coin in which it would hurt billionaires, but it'll also hurt our already poorly, uh, poor, poor infra uh, infrastructure supply chain that has been disproportionately affected by COVID because, you know, millions of people, thousands of people have died. Um, and that has affected our labor shortage um, through the pandemic. So that's it's just really important to keep in mind. Um, please keep an eye on the railroad movement. Follow labor notes. Follow Jonah Furman. Follow More Perfect Union. I will be uh, talking about it as I see updates, like big updates rather, um, because if they do decide to go on strike, we do need to be prepared within our communities to support each other uh, and to support them. There is going to be a lot of propaganda and there already is um, trying to blame workers for the disaster, right? Like it's your fault workers that the economy is going to shit. It's your fault workers. The strike is the reason why blah, blah, blah. When in reality, the billionaires could just treat people like people, right? If they could just do that, that'd be great. Um, that's all I have for you today. Again, if uh, you want to follow like the timeline of the negotiation deals, if you want to read whatever I just talked about, it will be linked in the podcast summary. So if you look up unconventional journalist, wherever you get your podcasts, everything will be linked for there, linked in there. Um, and the fundraising link will also be there. For every issue in which there is struggle, there's already people and communities fighting back. You are not alone in any of this nonsense.